You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM, and we are speaking to Margaret Adovgal, Managing Director at Resource Works Society. This week's topic is climate scientists back carbon tech as an emission solution, while energy giant BP floats a novel energy security paradigm, plus the latest in geopolitics and reconciliation. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Wonderful to be here. How are you doing this morning? Doing very well, Margaret. Thanks for asking. How about yourself? Doing pretty well, pretty busy. <laughs> yes, it's a busy time. We've got so much to cover here. So, Margaret, there's been news this week about the UN's new climate report. What does it say? In short, an awful lot. And, of course, these reports are never short. They're written by committee by hundreds of experts. And, for, unfortunately, for the rest of us, uh, uh, it can be a little bit dense to get through. But, fortunately, there are also shorter summaries available, including ones targeted at policymakers, which uh, I find journalists tend to uh, uh, gravitate towards. And uh, one thing to note here is in the world of climate science and climate policy, a 1.5 degrees Celsius warming limit for the planet has been the heavily favored target in recent years. Uh, And the Paris Agreement, which was a historic agreement between many nations um, several years back, actually only committed nations to a 2 degree target. Uh, But we have been moving towards this 1.5 piece. and there are some negative news, which I'll get to, but maybe I should just uh, explain a little bit uh, background for those who aren't subject matter experts. Uh, and there is a reasonably robust understanding among scientists that uh, emissions translate to total warming. So uh, we have a rough sense of you know, how many tons go into each Celsius, and that gives us a carbon budget. And uh, that, in turn, uh, influ- influences the systems in the atmosphere and whether you have... Uh, carbon or water vapor or even sulfuric acid, like our solar system neighbor the planet Venus has, gases in the atmosphere have a pretty predictable or predictable enough effect on the temperatures of your atmosphere, your terrestrial systems, your marine systems. And if you add more gas, such as burning more fossil fuels, as humans have been doing for uh, many, many years now, well, maybe you've got the conditions for a warming planet. And naturally, that's terrible for environmental systems that have actually never warmed this quickly in discernible geological history. And uh, not only do summers become more dangerous, potentially fatal scorchers, uh, and you know, not only for uh, humans, but animals and you know, physical infrastructure, but also the weather systems that rely on temperature stability actually change how they regulate the movement of hot and cold air and water, uh, and that can create droughts, places where you wouldn't expect drought, uh, intense precipitation and lots of rain where you wouldn't want it, and uh, even storms and tornadoes. Uh, And one in two degrees, it might not seem like a lot, but let me just stress that this is average warming. uh, And if you heat up the whole system uh, incrementally, things start to change in fairly intense ways. And, of course, we've been noticing that. So back to the planetary dilemma on a global human scale, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, has released that report. And essentially, that's all the top scientists on this topic from every country in the world. And they're now saying that 1.5 degrees of warming is unlikely. We're already at 1.1 at this point. So we're definitively in what they call overshot territory, despite all these best efforts. And even as we transition to alternative sources of energy that uh, put less or ideally no new carbon into the atmosphere, uh, we also need to look at ways now of removing it if we want to reverse some of the damage that's being done. And this requires a major and, well, incredibly costly pivot to technologies like carbon capture, utilization, and storage, CCUS. Uh, You know, I've taken a calling that carbon tech, 
And that's been uh, picking up steam internationally, but uh, Canada's oil patch is a really good example of that. Producers in our sector are really looking to reduce emissions. And it actually surprised me to hear, and you might be surprised as well, that according to the B.C. government's own accounting, oil and gas is, at least in this province, actually ahead of the curve. And because it is so heavily scrutinized and regulated, it's going to meet drastic emissions reductions a little bit more readily than sectors like residential, where you have some really old homes that you know, just leach heat into uh, the, the, the outside. Um, and, of course, uh, this is also framed by many nations pushing, uh, particularly Pacific nations that are facing some real pressures from uh, rising uh, ocean levels uh, for a more aggressive phase-out of all fossil fuels. And I hear that the EU is even giving this serious thought. Um, so this brings us back to the need for carbon capture, particularly the removal of carbon from the atmosphere through mechanical, you know, big fans, um, biological, okay, that could be everything from uh, algae to more trees, or chemical means. And that is a must-have technology. The IPCC saying that uh, in this way is a bit of a breakthrough for that. Uh, but you might also be surprised to hear that not everyone loves it. And uh, many groups are really introducing this idea of moral hazard. If you uh, invest in technologies, uh, ones that still need a lot of innovation to get to uh, commercial readiness, you open up the, the case, uh, or really, really you, op you water down the case for transition away from fossil fuels. And uh, some critics, uh, including uh, folks in Canada, uh, like at the Broadman Institute, are uh, pointing to uh, these as, I'm going to paraphrase, essentially arguments by self-interested states that interfere in the, uh, an intergovernmental process. Uh, or maybe that's the reality uh, of the situation that uh, folks don't like the sound of. And I think it's a little bit of that. Our energy needs are, unfortunately, very much not at peace with uh, our climate reality. Mm. And in other related energy news, you wanted to touch on what a global energy giant has been saying on this topic. What's the latest there? Yeah, uh, British headquartered energy company BP, which is now short for Beyond Petroleum, <laughs> is uh, has put out its uh, latest corporate report. And uh, they're uh, calling for a consistent, a decisive, orderly, and rapid transition away from fossil fuels. Um, there's some really interesting factoids there about a uh, huge surge in demand for hydrogen energy, which there's different ways of doing it, but essentially transforms uh, electricity or uh, natural gas with carbon capture uh, into a cleaner burning fuel, hydrogen. Um, there's also a lot of talk about this huge uptake in demand for critical minerals. These are the kinds of things that, as most people know, probably go into electric cars, uh, but also many, many other uh, electronic components that we need for electrification. And uh, they suggest that um, the greatest path to global energy security is really shaping up to be intensifying investments in renewables. Uh, Russia's war in Ukraine has, of course, been a trigger of that in Europe and uh, around the world. But they are also noting that uh, we need more energy overall, uh, so not just renewables. And uh, there's a fun little story that I heard of uh, a world first, I think, a sail-powered uh, cargo ship uh, is now uh, just off the coast of Vancouver. And uh, you may think of that as, wow, no way, we don't actually need bunker fuel, right? Uh, well, the funny thing is that uh, particular ship is carrying coal, and that's most of its cargo. So I think it's a bit of a red herring. And we're obviously not 100% there yet, but the demand for energy transition is intensifying. And in fact, I think Canada has the means to supply it, particularly with cleaner burning natural gas to replace things like coal on global markets. 
Margaret, now let's dive into an entirely different topic here. Allegations of coordinated foreign interference in Canada's elections and political systems has been circulating heavily. It seems like every day we're hearing about this company or that company with ties to China. Where is this all headed? Oh, it's to say Russia seems like a like an object that's rapidly shrinking in the rearview mirror, and uh, I think everyone has gotten their decadal cycle of uh, post Cold War uh, worry about the Russians. The Russians largely out of their systems at this point. Uh, Russia, of course, has been booted, uh, fairly booted from a significant number of international forums. Uh, their trade relationships have been totally disrupted. Uh, in fact, you can find Coca-Cola on Russian shelves today from every country in Europe. Uh, Hungary, Poland, all sorts of labels I've seen on Twitter, uh, except Russia itself, because companies like Coca-Cola have pulled out. And uh, we also heard that if Vladimir Putin shows up in Germany, their government has promised to seize the man and try him for war crimes. So, you know, is that chapter fully closed? Uh, eh, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that's really seemingly resolved. I would only ever say that with a heavy dose of irony, because it's not resolved until peace in Ukraine is obtained. Uh, but, of course, the global focus is shifting a little bit. Uh, right now, it's to another great power struggle among great powers, China and the West. And the Chinese path to securing its middle class um, among a very major demographic collapse, their population is aging so rapidly that they really need to shore up everything they can to ensure that their consumers and households and families um, continue to enjoy uh, economic prosperity. And uh, that path is now weaving through what are conventionally understood as the territories of uh, the global American trade empire. Um, So that's created some tensions, you could say. And uh, one thing to note here is critical minerals, which I mentioned uh, BP bringing up in its report, um, are largely controlled by China. So that's a really interesting lever for them, in addition to all the infrastructure that they're building, uh, just like Russia was able to leverage with oil. But unfortunately, it's even more integral with critical minerals because um, we're transitioning so rapidly to them. Uh, So there is a real supply crunch that's coming which Canada can help with because we have lots of minerals too. Um, And some of these worries are also uh, coming, uh, these tensions rather, are coming close to shore. Um, So as you mentioned, there's been allegations of sustained efforts by Chinese state-funded entities and individuals seeking to throw their weight behind uh, political candidates in Canada that are less hostile to their interests. And uh, I'm Interested to see how that involves. I think it's heavily politicized, and uh, some of it is more in this, you know, geopolitical conflict realm than, you know, necessarily uh, the uh, ins and outs of what happened in a given election. But um, it is necessary to ensure confidence in our electoral system, and uh, you know, in a similar sense, things like the ownership of uh, critical companies. Um, if things go sour, or even more sour, um, that could be leverage for a country that doesn't always agree with uh, our interests. And uh, you know, to reduce that potential negotiating point and leverage on things that are important to the well-being of uh, your average everyday Canadian, uh, we do need to be careful about uh, who has substantial control over our economy. So those are very important pieces. Mm-hmm. And now to round us off for the day, Margareta, why don't you get us up to speed on what's been happening with your conference, the Indigenous Partnership Success Showcase? Well, I'll just uh, leave you with a little bit of a teaser. June 1st and 2nd, we're coming back to Vancouver for our fourth annual conference. Uh, folks can get tickets if they want at indigenoussuccess.ca. And uh, I'm really excited to announce that we're going to have a panel entirely in the Squamish language, Squamish Snakeum, which is, I think, going to be a first or a major business conference in Canada. There's going to be many more. We have an exciting keynote announcement coming soon, but 
I really hope people will join us on what I think is becoming very rapidly uh, a cross-sectoral movement of reconciliation.